I, I can think of a bunch of better people there, but um, <laughs> I was I trying to talk Amy into sharing, and she and I had a very interesting match. So um, it's really good to be with y'all. We, we love Parkway. I'm com I'm more comfortable in a, in a sharing format like this than like up in front. Um, but but the way I thought through this, this through was more of an up in front thing with slides and things like that. So if I look like I'm fumbling around, that's why. But I I like this this forum better um, just because it's it's much more interactive and and really you know we're talking about families and we're sort of all the family right here. This is like I kept picturing the picture I kept getting was a, a fire pit right in the middle of the of the floor. You're talking about the one in the in, uh, old days of Parkway. Uh, we, we should have a little, a little bit, but I kept seeing a fire right here, like, like the, the moment is brilliant fire, and there is something very, very smallly has this pivotal line that we learned when, when Amy and I were raising young kids. And he said, you know, if you want to get close as a family, uh, go camping. Because camping is always a crisis. There's always terrible things happening. You forget something that's cold, it's miserable. And, and because you share that misery, you know, days and after you get over it, you remember it, and, it, and that draws you close together. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, wait a second, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's worse. It's very small as it was always bad. And I was thinking, there's some truth to that. And you're out of your element, you're away from your environment, you're away from the, you know, the uh, espresso machine. I felt like that happened this morning at our house when the power went out. Oh, yeah. We were all together laughing and joking around and, how are we going to eat? How are we going to do this? But the gas still works. Oh. Does the plumbing work? Yeah. Yeah, he says, can we still flush the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. that's just like this. It's, so this is kind of cool. Just really thankful to be here. We appreciate, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate Parkway. I appreciate the way you guys, um, you invest uh, resources and you invest time in your prayer. And we're the East Bay Prayer Furnace and, and um, we have, as you know and as we said before, but, but we have deep, special affection for what you do because you're so vested. You're, you're spending every Wednesday night in United Prayer on behalf of this region. You're spending a, once a month, all night long, in this place, in prayer. And, and you know, that's awesome. And when we pray, you know, which we do often for a 50-mile radius around the House of Prayer, the State Prayer Furnace, which is, uh, which Parkway's definitely included in. I mean, that 50-mile radius goes clear out to the San Francisco Bay, out to Modesto, down to Gilroy, and up to Pass Martinez. Um, uh, when we pray that, we, I, we vision, and I envision, um, tens of thousands of little dots and, and so I, I picture Parkway as multiplied times 10,000, but you guys are the faces and the, and the, and the personalities around that times 10,000. So, you know, that, that's, that's just praying for what the Lord might do in that region. And it's, it's just really precious. So um, we're, we're, it's, a, it's a privilege to just uh, to be here. You know? um, and so this is interactive, so do interrupt me, raise hands. I really... Uh, I'll just say for the recording, I can't tell you how thankful I am that my sons are not here. 
<laughs> Danny and Josiah are at a, a FCA football game this morning, and I, so I was, I mean, especially in this form, I would get, you don't do that, Dad, you know? <laughs> are you kidding me? So, so I get to, like, you know, say what I want, and, and then uh, I'll, you know, they can answer it later. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, so uh, you guys are going through Ephesians. David is bringing you through the book of Ephesians, a great book. We've talked about it before, but it is, it is an amazing book. It's Paul's love letter to that group of people that were living in Ephesus, his love letter. And I mean, he loved those people. And he was there for two years. And a lot of the wild stories that you read in the Bible happened right there while Paul was there. You know, the, the, the uh, Paul going there and asking, hey, did you guys, did you get the Holy Spirit when you, when you prayed, Paul Elijah? Like, no, we, we have the gospel of, of the uh, John the Baptist, the, the gospel of repentance. Paul's like, oh my goodness, well, let's, let's take care of that right now. And they speak in tongues and they prophesy right there. That happened there. The, um, the, uh, the seven sons of Sceva, remember them? They're the seven sons of the high priest uh, who decided to go out and, and they saw the power of Paul. At that place, by the way, Paul's handkerchiefs are healing, healing people. You know, he's getting, he, the gospel goes out from that place to all of Asia. And so those seven sons of the high priest, they, they say, they go out and they start um, saying, I proclaim this Jesus whom Paul preaches. You know, they didn't quite own it themselves, but they, they, uh, they preach on behalf of uh, Paul, and it's and it, uh, not enough. And so they, they get uh, attacked by a, by a de demon, an evil spirit, and those seven sons are sent away naked and bleeding, is what the scripture says in Acts. And so, uh, and it puts such a fear in people that watching just that, just that power, it's like what kind of power is this that that, that, that happened, that they start to bring their sorcery materials and they burn them. Yes. And, and they, they talk about the value of that pile of, of scrolls and documents, 50,000 days wages. 50,000 days wages. So I did the math, right? I'm assuming that everybody gets paid minimum wage, only minimum wage. You know, and, and most people make more than minimum wage, but at a minimum wage in today's dollars, 50,000 days wages, $3 million worth of stuff right there that they set on fire in, in Paul's presence because they were so impressed with, with, the, with the power of evil that could, that had to be very precise in how you accommodate, how you apply the kingdom of God. That that happened at Paul's time there. That, the, this, uh, this uh, idol, we talked about idols this morning. I think Keith was bringing that up. Right? That, that this idol uh, Artemis, this um, this uh, fertility goddess, uh, that was the source, a major source of income in Ephesus, major source of immorality in terms of temple prostitutes, etc. In in Ephesus, uh, there's a major clash between Paul and the and the goddess Diana, which is Artemis, another name for Artemis, and so they they have this clash. And that happened right there. So Paul is now writing in prison and he's remembering these things and he's writing this letter and, and that's why it's such a love letter. He's like, I, what a time to talk about camping, talk about sharing strife together. What a time we had together where, where God's power was just moving. And that's why his words are so lofty. We've talked about this before, but I, I can't get over it because that's the way Paul starts the Bible. He, he takes you up into the heights. He basically launches you from the launching pad up into the heights, up into the 
the mountaintop experiences of you are sealed in him, you are beloved in him. Uh, you know, just it's, a, it's chapters one through three of um, of Ephesians, um, where you're holy, where you're blameless, where you're predestined, where where before the foundation of the world was was uh, made, he wrote your name. And he had your name, he had your DNA in mind, thinking about you before the foundation of the world was ever created. He, he's going to forgive your sins. He's, he calls you uh, someone who is brought near to God through his blood. His uh, prayer on, on the cross about the blood and the, and the power of the blood of the cross bringing us near to God, bringing us near to this unseen, in, uh, omnipotent, omnipresent God who is right here. Who created bumblebees, you know, and and single-celled animals and galaxies, you know? <laughs> he brought near that. That's the God we're saying. Um, and and so Paul starts off with this lofty thing about you know you are sealing him with the Holy Spirit of promise, predestined that that's who you are. Um, and 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 this book is going to end up, and David's going to uh, end up talking about. Uh, how you stand against a very real enemy, how you deal in spiritual warfare. It starts lofty, ends in warfare, ends in talking about that, but in between, there's these, there's these what I call, therefore, walks. Um, there, there's these verses that say, you know, well, actually, I have them here, and on the slide that you can see right behind me. <laughs> um, so four one, right? Ephesians four one. As a prisoner of the Lord, therefore I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So, so again, lawfully heading towards heading towards um, confrontation, but in the middle of that, therefore walk. Uh, in Ephesians five one. Therefore be therefore. In light of what all, all I just said, Paul says, Paul, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering, a fragrant aroma. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Therefore, be careful, Ephesians 5.1, how you walk. Don't be unwise, but be wise, making the most of your time because these days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what it is. So these therefore walks is where we get into the nitty-gritty, the, the, you know, yeah, we were on the mountaintop, but now we're going to get down into what life is like among us. Because uh, Ephesians, John Stott uh, calls Ephesians, he said you cannot go into Ephesians with what he calls a privatized gospel, meaning a, a gospel that is, that is individual only. He goes, Ephesians, in fact, David's been doing a really great job just emphasizing this over and over again. Ephesians is a book about God using the church to to accomplish his his goal. And the church is made up of usins, and usins bring our stuff. <laughs> and so uh, that's where the nitty-gritty goes, when, when we're bumping up against one another and when we have to have to interact with one another. And there is no crucible more appropriate to that than the family. I mean, it's, it's easy enough, you know, you can put up with me for a little bit, but you get to leave me after a while, you know? Um, but not not the family. <laughs> so, and, and so, you know, it's a family where these things work out. So John Scott said, you don't you don't come into Ephesians, you don't come out of Ephesians with a with the understanding of a privatized gospel. But if the gospel doesn't work in the family, then the, that that church relationship is going to be compromised at some level. And that that's why he gets into it. So he gets into the nitty gritty. Be humble, be patient, 
speak in purity. Don't don't uh, don't use unwholesome words. Um, submit to one another. Avoid drunkenness. Um, speak to one another in psalms. Um, yeah. <laughs> tempted to sing Psalm 22 here. <laughs> give give thanks. No hint of sexual immorality. Right. That those are the nitty gritties. And right there, he gets into this verse. That, that David has, has asked us to talk about, this verse in, in uh, Ephesians 6. So Ephesians 6.1, it says, uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So we'll just take that, those first four verses. And what's really interesting to me, and here, here I want you to uh, help me, um, because what I don't see here is a lot of what I learned at home. Like there's no, you know, measure twice, cut once. You know, that, that, that was something my, my dad would say, right? My, my grandma would say, 32 choose to one bite. She, you know, <laughs> that was her phrase. And, and I mean, she said it over and over and over again, and I never got 32 shoes out of that bite. I was, just, I was a teenager, I'm like, maybe five, maybe, maybe, maybe six. So, I mean, I don't, so think, think of the phrases your parents used to use, especially ones where you might, might use them. Like, like my dad, when he, when I was saying something and he wanted to call it nonsense, he goes, that's, that's ridiculous. He would say, pushwa. <laughs> that's a bunch of pushwa. And I, I learned that. I learned uh, that's not even a word. <laughs> there is a word called bushwa. B u s h w a. That's that means nonsense. But my dad must have misheard it. <laughs> so all my life he's been like, what a bunch of pushwa. So I've been. I'm Anybody ever ever had your dad like look in the rearview mirror and go? Don't make me turn this car around. Tell me some of what your, your uh, crazy, crazy phrases Or maybe phrases that, maybe crazy phrases that you use. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why I don't smoke cigarettes. Because my mom would, would say, I, I'm smoking cigarettes. I'd say, Mom, she goes, just do as I say. Don't as I don't do. Oh. Don't do as I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. My mom had one. I might not be right, but I'm never wrong. I'm gonna adopt that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't be shy. You know, my dad had one where he said, um, he would say, like if we were having a fight or something like that in another room, or if we were in the car, he'd say, if I have to stop this car, you're going to know it. Oh. And I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we all recognize that when we stand in front of <laughs> See that would have, yeah, that would have. <laughs> the car's really the car, And then he would have taken off and I wouldn't have been in it. <laughs> yeah, there's none of that, there's none of that in here. Um, there's no, um, 
I have one too. Um, I wasn't. There was no communication like that with my dad, so I just got the look. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. the look. Uh, yeah. The look says it all. Which is a learned skill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you don't you don't come out of the womb with that look. No. <laughs> <laughs> you learn, you learn the look. I mean. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> anybody ever have a dad or a mom that would say, um, <clears throat> if I come up. You know, there's somebody screaming in the house somewhere or something happening, and they say, if I come there, there better be somebody bleeding. <laughs> the kids are like always like, you know, sounding like like World War Three. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, um, Paul's going through this, and um, uh, he uh, he's talking about about child rearing and what's interesting is that um, uh, children in the Roman Empire were not valued um, they, Paul is doing something a little bit radical here in, in talking to children at all uh, just talking about he's going to get to fathers in a minute but to talk about children um, this is a quote from a, from a historian unwanted babies were abandoned weak and deformed ones were killed Healthy children were a nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and messed up an easy divorce. Um, and so they just weren't valued. Um, they, they, that, in that society, for Paul to actually address them and, and talk about how they need to obey um, is hard. And, and I mean, I do want to address, I didn't really talk about who we are, by the way. I think you all know us, but we, Amy and I have five kids. We have, um, they range from age 30 to uh, 15. Danny, our youngest, is 15. And it's a bimodal distribution, meaning we had three, and then we had a little gap, and then we had uh, two more. So, um, so our, our, first, our first pulse, uh, all those guys are married. So Becky, Caleb, and Josh all have spouses. So we, also, we have three now children-in-laws as well, and a grandson uh, from Josh. And so um, uh, we have that, and we have uh, two minors at home, although one is going to cease to be a minor in about two weeks. Oh, no. Josiah turns 18 uh, in, uh, in, in early November. And, uh, and so, so we have that. That's our, that's our way. So we've been through the early ages. We've been through teenagers. We've been through basically, so far, 30 years of this thing. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't feel like I know anything most of the time. It, it, it still feels like a constant, you know, I failed here, I screwed up there, I shouldn't have said that, but my, my emotions got out, out of range. So um, it's a hard job, that's the thing. Parenting is, is a difficult job. And there's and the pay is lousy. <laughs> um, the rewards are great, but the pay is lousy. Um, you know, it, it's it's important. I mean, it's not only is it a really hard job, but it's a very important job. I mean, as in life and death are on the line um, in terms of how that, that child is being raised, and and the Lord uh, takes it really seriously. Um, uh, and um, it's one of those things where you can never get out of it. You can you can delegate authority. You can say, yes, church, I'd like you to raise my kid in your Sunday school or whatever. You, yes, school system, I'd like you to raise them up. 
but but it's always you. You are on the line, and you make those judgments about who gets to actually speak in the life of your kid and who doesn't, especially in the early stages. So Paul is saying here, um, uh, children, obey uh, your parents, but this is right. Um, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment of promise. So um, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When, when he says this is right, <clears throat> um, and then he quotes the scripture, he's, he's saying two things really clearly. One is, obey your parents because uh, that's the way things are. <laughs> I mean, forget that if you just had that and no Bible, Paul would say it is a natural law that is an, it is a way of nature that children obey their parents. And, and, con- and on the other hand, when children in a society don't obey their parents, mm-hmm. that is a sign of a decadent society, which mm-hmm. is the very thing that Paul calls out in other, other books in the Bible, saying there's going to come a time when children are disobedient to parents. Mm-hmm. And that is a sign of, of this depressing, this, uh, this downward slide on society in general. So it is. It is the way of. It's the way that we are wired, where we are supposed to obey. That that's a reason. But another reason is it's this is this thing he's quoting here in, in uh, uh, Ephesians six verse two, honor your father and mother. That's that is uh, the Old Testament. That's uh, Ten Commandments. Um, and so it is a a requirement from the law to obey um, and to follow. Um, and so, natural law, written law, but but moreover, um, what's the most important reason why uh, children should obey your, your parents? The, the most important reason is because uh, we're doing all these things in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord, right? Later on it says, fathers, don't provoke your children, but raise them up in the discipline of the Lord. We exist in a context of, of doing these things in the Lord. Um, and so when children obey you, uh, they learn to obey God. Mm-hmm. And by contrast, um, when, the, when disobedience is allowed, all of a sudden it gets real easy to just say, well, I'll follow my own sense of what's going on. Because that's the thing about obedience. Um, being a being a sort of a rebellious type myself, I know that obedience is easy as long as I agree with the re- direction you're going. <laughs> you know, as long as it's already meets my preconceived notion of where we're going. Obedience is a piece of cake. You know, it, it's when um, I am uncertain or where I have other ideas, um, and that obedience gets difficult. And so, when mom and dad have this idea and the child has this idea, I don't want to wear pants. You know, <laughs> out in public. Well, that's your idea, but I have, says mom and dad, a different idea because you don't want to be 35 years old not wearing <laughs> pants in public to be that now. We have this idea, you have this idea, and obedience becomes really important and to, and, and to do so early on. I mean, that's just a silly example, but, but it becomes more and more, uh, more, and more apparent. Because we're trying to raise them up in obedience of the, in, in obedience to the Lord in this context, uh, the child stands here, the dad stands, the dad or mom stands here, and God is behind it, and they are doing these things in the Lord, which is why we have the following instruction to fathers about how they are to obey. 
Um, uh, you know, I, I would say to my kids, your parents aren't perfect. Um, we don't know the world you kids live in. That They would say that to me. You don't understand my world. My world is way different than the world you grew up in. Um, and, and they would be right. You don't understand the pressures we're under, and they would be right. Uh, God says, still obey. Still follow. Right? Still, still give that. Because everything changed with Jesus. Uh, when, when he came, he set this context, this this um, environment, and it's not just a hierarchy. Don't don't think when we talk about God, parents, children. Don't think org chart. Don't, don't think a hierarchy. Think um, uh, aquarium. <laughs> think fish surrounded by water, and and the water is God. We we exist in a context, and the context is we we are surrounded by. We are immersed in this thing called the kingdom of God, and that's how we make our decisions, we are, that is our context, not, not, not necessarily a, you know, a, a hierarchical view. Um, uh, the, the, uh, oh, by the way, there's a promise, obey the Lord, and you'll be, your life will be long on the earth. That doesn't mean the Lord's going to kill you, <laughs> by the way. Just, uh, what it means is that, that they're, they're, it's, a, it's a command of the promise. Paul calls it out. It says, you know, your, your life is going to be extended. Now, that, that is a general principle, but it's a, it's a good one, meaning that, that you, your parents, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's spiritually true that you'll be preserved spiritually true. It's also just practically true. There is nobody in the world among the 7 billion people that cares more for you than your parents. And so they are going to lay out for you the path that is that's going to get you to the place in the most efficient way. You, you know, a good parent does that. And so therefore, your life is going to be a lot longer on the earth if you, if you obey the precepts that they've laid out for you. And it's both spiritual, but it's also very practical that way. Um, how long should parents, how long should kids obey? Um, you know, is it, is it just uh, for the infants? Does it go past, oh, my dad's 89, uh, still, still lives in uh, Florida. Do I, when he calls up and says does something, do I have to obey? Well, you know, <laughs> first of all, he wouldn't do that because he, he understands that one of the goals of parenting is to raise up somebody who is self-governed and who is, is independent. Uh, but, but I would say this, this is a command that talks in particular children who are, in my, who are minors, you know, um, because, uh, you know, that the, the need for obedience of the strict law of the land diminishes as you get older and older. But... We have a constant command, always, to honor our parents, yeah. to honor our mom and dads, to honor, for me to honor my dad, which I do, he's amazing, and for me to honor my mom, who was an alcoholic, uh, and, and died at a relatively young at age 60, but she was a fantastic mom, you know, even though she struggled with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. You, you honor your parents as best you can, and, and I know that's hard, uh, that's a hard statement, some people are coming out of very abusive uh, uh, relationships and, and things where the parents don't deserve honor. You find a way to actually honor the part of them that was that was coming out in the midst of them being so uh, immersed in whatever evil they were driving at. Um, uh, because you uh, learn to obey the Lord by obeying your parents. Um, Fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children, your child to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Um, this, this is a command uh, of not necessarily submission, but more of restraint, of 
authority. Um, you know, don't don't provoke. Is this, did we get there? Don't provoke your children to anger, um, right? So don't don't frustrate them. Don't irritate them to the point where they get so angry. Um, according to this uh, historian I've been reading, Barclay, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hand and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Said said the says this historian. And so, absolutely, and, and I have, parents have, can misuse their authority by, by making a reasonable request, irritating requests, or requests that come out of an emotional place where you're just not really healthy to be able to make a, a proclamation at that point. Um, Paul is calling us to say, exert justice that's not arbitrary, that's not unkind, um, because you want to bring them up to be able to self-govern, to be able to make choices themselves, to be able to limit their own things. but. But until that happens, we have to we have to uh, limit them. We have to um, co- uh, I don't want to uh, cocoon is a bad word, but limit their exposure to things, especially in this day and age, where it's everywhere, where it's pervasive. Um, key to that, um, I'll, I'll tell this quick story. My son, we were uh, at a wedding last week, and so we uh, almost all of our family, except Josh, uh, came in for this wedding. It was my niece, um, and. Uh, and I was talking to my, one of my sons, and he was telling me about his friend who's, um, who has sent this email out uh, among his group of friends who are in a Bible study. And the email says something like, hey, um, I love you all as my brothers. I want to let you know I'm very um, attracted to this woman who does not know Christ, and I'm thinking I'm going I'm I'm to ask her to marry me. What do you think? <laughs> and so, uh, and I know. Uh, I mean, it was a long email. It, was, it, was, it wasn't that terse, but it was. I know. Uh, I know. I, I can predict some of the counsel I'm going to get. I just want to let you know I'm listening. But I am, you know, pretty. I, he basically said, you know, my trajectory is set, kind of thing. And and so, um, my son's sharing with me. You know, Dad, here's what I've got so far. What do you think? And he he's talking about how. Uh, it was very well worded uh, email. He shared with me a couple of the ones that his friends had sent, mm. and they were all doing the sandwich thing, you know, the sandwich technique, right? Where you um, you say something really positive, then you put the thing that might be a little tricky, a little negative uh, in the middle, and then you end up with something positive. It's a sandwich, um, and so uh, several of these emails were doing just that. We love you and appreciate you. You've always uh, been faithful in our group, etc. Um, nervous about this decision you seem to be uh, making. There are consequences. Here's one. Here's another. Um, and then uh, ended. And, and my son was saying the same thing. But we ended up all that to say we ended up in this discussion about um, oh, so the girlfriend who this guy is interested in said this one thing. Here's here's what got me off. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. She said this one thing. She said, oh, and so he's writing. She goes, uh, I talked to her, and she said she's interested in bringing our children up in Christian values. Um, um, and so, you know, that sounds pretty good because she's not a Christian. And I said, boy, that, that's, uh, that's, not, that's not bad. That's not wrong. It's just that it makes me nervous because um, if you espouse values that you don't live out, uh, your kids will see right through that in a, mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that's maybe the most important context you can do here is to be 
real. I mean, to live your life, to, to have a genuine love of Jesus in the home, uh, where they see you pray, where you where they see you devoted to your time to devotion, where they see your financial weakness because you're giving to the kingdom. You know, they, they are, are, are there was there was some of that in, in our house where they where you intentionally limit their exposure to things of the world even though Johnny down the street gets to see all that stuff, right? I mean, that's, that's the story. And so uh, my point to Caleb was it, it's not wrong to have, have those values and, and, and good on her for recognizing the value of, of following uh, Jesus's tenets even if she doesn't believe in Jesus. But at some point, uh, that's, that's going to be, the, that very thing right there is going to be the source of a problem in their household because the kid's going to say, well, wait a minute, what is this? you're doing it, you're saying do as I say and not as you do, kind of thing. And how does that work out? And, and uh, so that, that's where it sets up some problems. Um, so uh, you might be saying to yourself, you guys have been doing this for 30 years. You know, what, what techniques do you have? Um, and, and, and I would say, you know, we, we did everything that you all do in terms of parents, you, uh, parenting. Read books, got counsel, we heaped praise, we tried to limit criticism, we tried to be unified as mom and dad to have the same sort of approach to them and tried to, you know, honor a, a, a discipline that was uh, proclaimed by one uh, for the other. Etc. We, we do all, all those things are like sort of parenting one-on-one that you learn and that you, you all already know. Um, we had five, so never compare. Ne- you know, we tried to never, never say, well, I can't be more like your, your sister, etc. But, um, uh, but every family is different. Every family has different heritages. Every family has different upbringings. Every family has different hot buttons that are in their head. Every family has a different experience that they're either informed by Meaning, you, you grew up in a household and you think that was really good what my parents did there, or you were avoiding that was horrible what my parents did there. I'm going to avoid that when I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do something completely different than that when I when I'm raised up. Um, so I don't want to dwell so much on what we did or, or didn't do uh, because I think each set of parents, uh, or you kids when you can grow up and be parents, you've got to you've got to carve your own path knowing what you've done. But I will say very quickly, there's a few things that we did that, that I would I would recommend to our kids, I'll just recommend to you. Uh, prayer was was huge. I, I married an intercessor. And so uh, to, to have that environment where there's constant prayer for our kids, constant prayer of the environment, constant concern for how the household did, that, that was huge. Praying for your kids is A, number one. You're, you're partnering, therefore, with an unseen God to raise up your kids. And, and uh, that's, been, that's been huge for us. And it had, in fact, there was one particular time where we had a son who um, went through a very major trauma as a nine-month-old, ten-month-old, um, and ended up acquiring the spirit of fear on him to where he couldn't be in the same room with the dog, no matter how friendly. Um, he, he was, if the lights turned out, he was freaked out, had this major spirit of fear, and, and we, it was a long session, it was a very traumatic thing that happened, etc., and so he had reason to, to fear, but, uh, but prayer solved, healed that. I mean, we, we had the, the, what do you call it, the, the healing prayer, is, that what, is it called the healing prayer? It's like a, 
Yeah, I mean, basically, Pastor Brent just prayed over him, and he got delivered it when was he a, was little. It was but like then, a healing of memories. It was sort of along the lines of the structure of a healing of memories prayer. I got the healing of memories, and, and, and Josh got the deliverance. <laughs> and, and it was instantaneous. You know, within days, he's in the room with it. That's how we knew that it was changed, because he's, like, interacting with this dog <laughs> that he has never interacted with before. Prayer, that, that is a real force in the family. So it made a big difference in our family. Um, we try to live out our love for God in the household. Again, I, that's just being genuine. Um, and it's huge. And it means uh, that they're not seeing your best face all the time. They're, they're, seeing, they're seeing your unpolished face. They're seeing you know, uh, times when, when you have to deal with how you just reacted a few minutes ago. And, and that ugly side, uh, that, but that's, that's just being authentic in the household and, and definitely trying to be as authentic in the household as you are to the outside world. Um, we uh, were, uh, and this doesn't happen to everybody, and, and uh, again, you all have your own story. We were massively blessed by living eight houses down from another godly family, from Amy's, Amy's sister. So uh, to have those people who love the Lord uh, and have four kids who are slightly older uh, be so close that our kids could interact and see that example, we had no idea at the time that that, that, that was as important as it turned out to be, and, and it, it's just been major. It doesn't mean that every one of those um, of those entire kids are, are actively following the Lord, but they saw those examples, and it, and it was a, just a major feature. Um, we don't have a TV. That's that's not for everybody, but we just never have had one, and and so uh, therefore there's a there, that that covers a host of evils in terms of what is brought into the home and what's allowed in the home, and, and uh, it was a whole lot easier not to get one than it is to get rid of one. Mm. I'll say that. Um, uh, but oh, and we uh, we homeschooled during our middle school years, seventh, eighth, and ninth. So we uh, again that is, that is not for everybody, but because Amy was uh, uh, home and and taking care of the kids, um, we were able to do that during the time during those puberty years, during those years when everything is changing, body wise, emotions, hormones are flowing, things are going crazy, and all of a sudden, uh, who you thought you were in fifth grade is way different than who you are in seventh grade, and to bring them close and allow them to uh, navigate through those years in a very active way. Thank God for the prayer room that happened at that time. That's why a lot of our kids are, are uh, musicians because during those times they would just play instruments. That, that was a huge blessing in our, in our life that, that uh, I would recommend, but, but it's, not, it's not for everybody. And we have a small home. Um, you know, we have uh, a smaller than normal home for, for five kids and that Turns out to be a huge blessing just because you can't escape. You know, there's you can always kind of like basically look down the hall and you can see exactly what they're doing. And they're all right there. You know? There's no upstairs. There's no secluded place in your four thousand square foot home that they can go to. There, it's all right there. So when you have an outburst, the outburst is right there. And when you slam the door, <laughs> the slamming door is right there. Anyway, that's that's what we did. Um, you are appointed by God to raise your kids um, in the Lord. And, uh, uh, and all that means uh, to me, and all we really did, was uh, translate in the Lord means through prayer 
and thoughtful. Um, how does this work? How, how can we best be strategic in this and, and, and put, your, put your energies into? Um, uh, you might, uh, let me just say this, you might at this moment, as we're talking about parenting, or you might for the whole last time be thinking to yourself, um, you know, I only, I'm not very comfortable the way I parented or the way I was parented. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, that's a major hole in my life. I don't like the way my kids turn out. I don't like the way they're doing right now. I'm worried about the way that they're doing it. Um, you might be thinking, I mean, you might be thinking, uh, it is an important job and I feel like such a failure all the time. Um, everyone else is successful but me. Um, I just want to remind all of us and remind myself also that, that, um, that A, uh, we're not responsible for denying reality. There may be true harm uh, in, in what happened to you or, or things that are not as good at your household as they could be. But be aware that you've got an enemy that delights in taking that piece of, of information and expanding it and making it much larger in your head. That's the voice of the accuser. And when we, as a, when we as individuals start to, we've talked about this before, but it's a really, I'm gonna probably talk about this for the next five years. When we start to recognize the voice of the accuser and we silence him, we say, you're right, but Jesus loves me. He already accepted me. I am uh, accepted in the beloved. Be silent. Uh, it works 100% of the time. The trick is you've got to recognize it because it feels so real. It feels like you're in this downward spiral and, and every accusation piles on to every other accusation. And, and that's just you on yourself. And meanwhile, when you're in a partnership or when you're in a relationship, uh, even a business relationship, the accusations from one to the other are, are also there. And when we get skilled at throwing down the accuser, says Revelation 12, Jesus and his authority and his power become manifest. We overcome because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, testifying to who Jesus is because we are in the blood of the Lamb. So, so parenting is a, is a perfect environment, a perfect soup of, of uh, failures and screw-ups and emotions and, and, um, and all sorts of negative things that the enemy can use to just expand into a world of accusation. And, and we have the power, we'll pray to, uh, about that here at the end, to actually reduce that. But also, um, for, for those of you whose kids are like, you know, past the minor stage, you know, they are, they are launched and I'm not sure where they're at, um, remember that the story is not over. The story is not the story is not over. I don't I don't care where they are in their in their walk. I I don't care even frankly if if they're gone from this earth, meaning that you don't know what happens between the time when they were when your your even your parents, uh, having been exposed to who you are and exposed to the message, between when they uh, are actually gone and the time when they recognize that they're leaving. That's why it's never too late, it, you know, it, it, because uh, the, their story is not over. We are not promised what their outcome is, and so we, we don't know, but we have promises. One of the promises is that our prayers get answered. We can pray, we are promised an answer to prayer, a positive answer to prayer. 
So even though the story is not over, we are promised over and over again that our prayers are going to work, and somehow, some way, that's going to that's going to find its way home. So let me share with you a really weird um, Bible passage. It's one of my favorite stories, but I, I think it's got some some merit to it. Um, just in light of this, um, John nine, uh, John nine one, this is one of the best stories in the Bible. Kids, if you uh, if you have this uh, have a, a board afternoon. Go to John 9 and just read through really slowly because it's such a cool story. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's just the part I'm interested in. Jesus is walking along and, he, um, and as he passes by, he sees a man who was blind from birth. Jesus does. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? So the, the question is, um, uh, uh, by the way, <laughs> of those two options, who sinned? This man, that he would be born blind, or his parents? Like, there's sort of a one big obvious answer to that question. <laughs> because even though the Pharisees had a philosophy that you could sin in the womb, uh, that the most like that that is a question that's basically saying, Jesus, we have always assumed that, that this man who is by the temple day after day, blind, is, is that way because of his parents who are sitting right over there. Um, they're, they're in the temple. We, we know that because Jesus later on in the story, I mean, uh, the Pharisees later on in the story grabs the parents and brings them and talks to them. Um, and so, so Jesus, who sinned? This man or those guys? <laughs> or that? And, and, uh, and so we've got a, a one of two outcomes, right? When, when you have a, a child who is wayward or an adult child who is not following the Lord, who sinned? It, you know, now Jesus, Jesus answered and says, um, neither, right? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents, but this happened. It happened. This happened. Now you're going to see the glory of God. But this thing happened. Mm. He, he's given us a third causal category, mm. right? A, a third way of understanding reality. Mm. Yes, you can sin and you can and you and, and you bear the consequences of your own sin. Could have been this man. Mm. Not not necessarily that he's blind, but but in but our children as they go on, they can sin and they can get into the, the issues uh, uh, of their own merits. Yes, his you know parents do. Uh, Terrible things to their children, and, and we are, and some of us are products of that. Where where you know there, there was sin in the household, and that's why I struggle in this particular area or that particular area. That that's true. There that's 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 true. But there's also the this happened category, the category of, of Jesus saying um, the way that of the message puts it. Um, the message says you're asking the wrong question. This is Peterson. I love Peterson. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Look instead for what God can do. So um, you can you can see. Check out this verse in around verse verse uh, 32. Um, Oh, they bring the parents, the, the Pharisees go and ask, the, the man gets healed. 
Jesus puts Jesus spits on the ground, makes clay, puts the clay on his eyes, and the man gets healed. Brings him before the Pharisees, and the man says, um, uh, uh, and and the Pharisees don't believe that he had been blind. So they call the parents of the very one who received his sight, and they said, they question him, "Is this your son?" This is verse uh, nineteen. Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, Well, we know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, and who opened his eyes we do not know. Ask him. He's of age, and he'll speak for himself. And then, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Christ was going to be put out of the synagogue. And for this reason, his parents said he is of age, asked him. You can just see the trauma in his parents, in, this, in the blind man's parents. I mean, the blind man is of age. He is an adult. And so for all of their adult years, those parents have been traumatized with accusation after accusation, you know, I mean, real accusation and expanded accusation about, about who you are and how could you possibly, what did you do that, that this man would be born so terribly impacted, so terribly handicapped, handicapped, you must be awful people. And you can just see that in their responses. They're just so coward. They're so, they're so uh, no self-confidence, so insecure. Um, and so uh, the Pharisees bring the man back, um, uh, and they ask him. Um, and so, uh, let me find it here. Um, a second time, verse 24, they called the man who has been born blind. They said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And the blind man, who is not coward, who has been healed by the Lord, who is a, a guy who is so cool, I would love to just have a coffee with him. <laughs> I just love this guy. Because he says, well, this is a guy who's been blind, who's been, just five minutes ago was begging bread in the, in the temple, blind, unable to see. Jesus gives him a command. Put mud, puts mud on his eye, tells him to walk a kilometer down to the Kula Salome and a kilometer all the way back, and he comes back, he says, this, this guy now says, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know, but 